Gracious God, merciful God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, which uses your word to point us to Christ Jesus. Fill us this day with the love of Christ Jesus, all to your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, for the last number of weeks, we have been working on a series called We Believe. And we spent four weeks regarding the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. And that it's not just a past event, but it has a present effect in our lives. And it really lifts us up. And then last week, we believe in the ascension. And just as the resurrection has a present effect, so does the ascension have a present effect. And there was a lot of jubilation, actually, throughout that particular series. And it was pretty interesting. A number of people talked to me throughout that series and said they really felt the Spirit present here. That the Holy Spirit just seemed to be present. And I thought, that's a pretty good sign. Because... The Holy Spirit is present for all who are in Christ Jesus. And as we talked about last week, a critical point is we have no power whatsoever for the work of God apart from the power of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. So it is the Holy Spirit who enlivens us, who empowers us to do the work that we are called to do. And so today on Pentecost Sunday, we are going to do, we believe, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Pentecost. It's one of those words that's talked about, but most people don't know what Pentecost actually is. So before we even get to the text in Acts today, I've got to give a little context here for what actually is Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? Pentecost originally was called the Feast of Weeks or became known, also known as the Feast of Harvest. Now it took place 50 days after Passover and Pentecost means 50th. So the festival was, became known as Pentecost 50 days after Passover. Now it was also a harvest of barley. So it was the end of the barley harvest and before just the beginning of the wheat harvest. So people would come before the Lord and thank the Lord for all of the provisions that he had given them. I mean, this was a truly a wonderful festival in which you went up and thanked the Lord for giving you the food that you needed throughout the year. During this time, it was also the rabbinic tradition that the Mosaic Law, and that sounds fancy, but it's not. It just means the law given to Moses, then given to the people, the Mosaic Law. Rabbinic tradition said it was given 50 days after they began the Exodus. Okay, so you get the idea of what Pentecost is. Now, let me give you an idea of how it was celebrated. So when the temple was built in Jerusalem, you would have all the farmers at the bottom of the mount. Remember, Jerusalem was on the hill. And so 
early in the morning, you would have all the farmers with their grain offerings, and they were led by a flute player, and they would go up the mount, and they would sing as they would go up to Jerusalem, and they would sing certain psalms. Psalm 120 through 136, they're called Psalms of Ascent. Why are they called Psalms of Ascent? Because they were literally going up the mountain to the temple. And so it would start off as this wonderful festival. They would go up to the temple, and the climax was Psalm 136, and it was about praising of God. It says, who alone does great wonders, creating the earth, delivering people out of Egypt, conquering the promised land from which the farmers gathered their food. So it was this really wonderful particular ceremony. And then they would go into the temple and they would have to offer the grain offering, the first fruit of the, of the grain offering. So the best of the best, right? And they would go up to the priest and they were supposed to recite part of Deuteronomy 26, verse 3. I'm going to read the whole thing. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time, and say to him, so this is what they had to say, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. So they were supposed to go in there and recite this before the priest. I mean, it's a wonderful thing, right? Except they were supposed to recite it in Hebrew. This was a problem. Because you had people from all different sorts of lands coming up. And in Acts, our reading from Acts, there's like 15 different languages being spoken. And so they didn't know how to speak Hebrew. So they would go up to the priest originally, and the priest would say a little bit of Hebrew, and then they'd have to repeat it. And they'd have to go back and forth, back and forth. This was really awkward. Can you imagine if you had to come up to communion and recite something in Latin, right? You would probably sit in your seats rather than coming up because it would be embarrassing. And I have enough trouble with English. You've heard me speak. I have enough trouble with English. To go up and speak in Latin or anything else would be really hard. So the embarrassment factor for people was great. So after a while, they just had the priest recite everything in Hebrew. But they didn't understand Hebrew. Do you get the problem here? So what they had here is they had many people were listening to God's word, but they couldn't understand it. Because they had no understanding, they did not actually confess before the Lord. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to remain silent. So they really did not confess to the Lord. That's the context for Pentecost. And so you have to understand that because it makes it so much richer what happened on that day. Now let's go to Acts. And we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now remember, Jesus had ascended. He is in his, uh, on his throne in heaven in glory, and he had promised them before, that they, before they left that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And there are two big things, one, wind and fire. So let's talk about wind and fire a little bit. Luke states that there was a sound as of a violent rushing wind. He does not say it was a hurricane and blew everything over. He says it was the sound of a big rushing wind. And this should give us no surprise if you know the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit often moves as a wind, as the breath of life. As a matter of fact, it is the Spirit we talk about in the Nicene Creed, the Lord and giver of life. And the Holy Spirit brings those who are spiritually dead to be spiritually alive. Do you remember in Ezekiel, the valley of the dry bones? It was a vision that Ezekiel had, and it was a vision of the spiritual state of Israel. They were dead, dry, dry bones. But God said this to Ezekiel. He said, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings those who are spiritually dead to life. This is what Jesus was trying to help Nicodemus understand, saying that you must be born again. He says, Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit, that you are in faith in Christ Jesus, that you are born again, is because of the Holy Spirit working in you. And the Holy Spirit not only brings the spiritually dead to life, it makes those who are spiritually weak strong in their faith. So on Acts, they were in Christ already, but now it, the Holy Spirit was empowering them from weakness and hiding, because remember, they were in hiding, they were still afraid for their lives, to now a boldness of strength. And now the next word is fire. Fire is a symbol of purity or purification. Fire is used to burn, to purge what is unholy, and to leave what is pure and holy. And you find a lot of references regarding fire in both the New, Old and New Testament. So, for example, right, in the Old Testament, God, with Moses in the ex Exodus, there was a pillar of fire. There was a fire that came down before the altar of the Lord, remembering to, uh, for them to offer up before God. And it was fire that came down upon the sacrifice of Elijah, showing that the Lord God 
is powerful and mighty. So here, you have the Holy Spirit coming down as of flames of fire. It didn't say that it was actual fire, but as of flames of fire. And it is purifying and strengthening the disciples for witness. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit was doing that day, for witness. Jesus himself said that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You see, the Holy Spirit did not come to make them celebrities, to make them like, whoa, super apostles. That was not why the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came upon them that day so that they could do the work of God. You see, there's so many people in so many churches who ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to their own glory. But that's not the true power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the manifestation and power of the Holy Spirit was not for man's glory. It's always for God's glory. It's always for God's glory. You know, um, Heidi and I were meeting with our financial advisor, and we, you know, we do it once a year, kind of like the physical checkup, right? And he, he, he's a believer, and so he asked, well, how's the church doing? I said, it's great. It's been growing. It's been wonderful, and there's aliveness in the spirit here. And he said, you must feel really proud. And it's like every time somebody says that to me, I, I, it's like, no, I, I don't feel proud. I feel joyous. I feel jubilant. I am grateful. But I know it's not about me at all. The only reason we grow is because of the work of, the, of God, of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's to God's glory. So what was the first miracle? There were several miracles that happened that, that day. The first miracle is this. The first miracle on the day of Pentecost what the, the, was that the disciples were all filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit for witness. So let's talk about the witness of the Spirit. Verse 4 through 6. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in uh, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So imagine you're in the crowd, and there's fishermen who are up there. And they're speaking in Aramaic, the language you understand. And you turn to talk to a guy and say, I can't believe that they're speaking in Aramaic. And he says, Aramaic? They're not speaking in Aramaic. They're speaking in Greek. Greek? No, Aramaic. And another guy says, oh, you're crazy. They're speaking in Egyptian. All of these different languages. There was a miracle that took place that they could understand. Remember now when the... Israelites had to come before the priest, and the priest spoke Hebrew, and they couldn't understand the word of the Lord. Now they could understand what was being spoken. Now some people thought that they were all drunk, but Peter says, 
We're not drunk. Look, it's 9 a.m. No one drinks. Well, maybe some drink that early, but we don't drink that early, right? No one was drunk. So what did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in languages for which they were not trained and they themselves did not know. And this is really clear from the reading that they were speaking in very specific languages. At least 15 different languages were spoken. So, the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues is a language that is intelligible and intelligent so that others may come to faith. What does it say in Romans? Romans chapter 10. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without some preaching? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So they were speaking in an intelligible, intelligent language so that others may come to faith in Christ. Now, you have to think about it. Put, it in, put yourself in Peter's perspective, right? He's a fisherman. I'm pretty sure he never went to Toastmasters. You know, Toastmasters, we got to give up, give a little speech that day. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God and proclaim Christ Jesus. That's what happened that day. And it was... I would encourage you to read his whole sermon. It is one of the most powerful sermons in the New Testament. So he actually begins, because he's actually Bible-based and Christ-centered, just like we are. Well, we follow his example. How's that? We follow his example. So he starts with the Old Testament. Why did he start with the Old Testament? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he starts with the Old Testament, and he gives them context of what's happening that day. Kind of like what I did just describing Pentecost. So he starts with the Old Testament with Joel and the Psalms, and he ends with this quotation from from Joel. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're hearing and seeing this miracle before you, you would want to know, well, who is the Lord? Well, who is the name of the Lord that I got to call on to be saved, right? And this is where, people, where Peter now speaks of Jesus. He says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This was one rousing sermon and was convicting. Cut them to their heart. 
It says this in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. They were cut to the quick and that is because is the power of the Holy Spirit. And they repented and they believed. They believed. They came to faith. You see, before on Pentecost, the old covenant, the Mosaic law was declared and people could not believe because they could not understand. But now, on that day of Pentecost, the New Testament was declared. The gospel was declared and they could hear and they could believe. See, it wasn't just a harvest of grain, the first fruits from the grain. It was now a harvest because of the first fruits of Christ Jesus. Pentecost was a harvest festival of salvation. It was a harvest festival of salvation in which Jesus Christ, the first fruit of the Lord, was offered before the people. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's a miracle. The miracle of Pentecost is that people came to faith and were saved. Now I want to talk a little bit about this phrase that Peter said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what is that gift? A lot of people would think it's tongues, healing, some other thing. But the greatest gift given is faith in Christ Jesus. People want all sorts of other signs and wonders and get involved in all of those things and miss people being born again and having faith in Jesus. That's the gift. That's the true gift when you share the gospel with someone and they come to faith. And it is a gift. Go to Ephesians 2, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You know this one. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a what? Gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. That anyone comes to faith is a marvelous gift of God through the Holy Spirit. In the Luther small catechism, it states this, I believe that by my own understanding or strength, I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but instead, the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel. If you are dead in your faith, you can't do anything, can you? What can a dead person do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The Holy Spirit who brings you to life through the call of the gospel. And so there was an outpouring 
and there was repentance, and there was a salvation. And this was not just to a select few. This is now for all people. Thus, the second miracle is that people heard the gospel and believed. This is the birth of the church. This is the birth of the Christian church, the body of believers. And that's why we celebrate this day, and we never want it to go by and never want it to take it for granted because it is the power of God working in each one of us as a body for his glory. This is Pentecost. And it's miraculous. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's great. But I'm pretty sure I don't have the gift of tongues. Anybody? I don't know. Most people I know don't have the gift of tongues. And that's okay. Because, unfortunately, in the Pentecostal movement especially, they have made the gift of tongues the gift of the Spirit rather than gifts of the Spirit. See, tongues is one gift of the Spirit, but it is not the gift of the Spirit. What's the gift of the Spirit? It is faith in Christ Jesus. That's the true gift out of all of this. And there are some who say, well, you can only say you're born again if you speak in tongues. And there are people who say that. And then, therefore, I must not be born again. And they say, well, you can learn how to speak in tongues. And I think, really? You can learn that? You can go to school? I've read from Pentecostal circles where people have left the faith because they were faking speaking in tongues because there was so much peer pressure to do so. Let's reiterate this. The gift of tongues is a gift. You can't... (laughs) I like my typo. It's actually really good. You can't ear it. (laughs) It's a good typo, right? You can't ear it. You can't earn it. You can't learn it. It is a gift by itself. That's probably one of my best typos, I think. And the gift of tongues is an understandable, intelligent language so others may come to faith. There is so much abuse regarding the gift of tongues. It just pains me. Do I believe the gift of tongues has ceased? No. But I also believe that the gift of tongues, 99.9% of it is an abuse. So, there are other gifts of the Spirit. And whatever gift you have been given, and by the way, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have, are indwelt by the Spirit and you have been given gifts. Your gifts really are there for the glory of God. And so think about that. You have been given a precious gift for His glory. So you should use your gifts, right? Not to withhold them. And that goes to the next point. They are primarily meant to be used publicly, not just privately. Because they're not yours to own. They're there for you to use. And for some, I'm going to give you the example 
craftsmanship, being able to work things in various materials, that is a gift for God's glory. Johann Sebastian Bach, all of his beautiful music, right? Remember at the bottom of all of his manuscripts, he wrote, to God, to God be the glory alone. So that's what he would write. It wasn't about him. It was to God's glory. And ultimately, none of these gifts are greater than another. See, none of the gifts are greater than another. We all work together for the body of Christ, to build up the body, for effective witness. And by the way, witness could be very, very simple, by the way. So many people get freaked out by that. Just this morning, I was putting out the signs, and there was a guy walking down the street, or sidewalk, I'm sorry. He was walking down the sidewalk, and, he, and I said, good morning. And he was like, good morning. You know, it was like a really friendly, good morning. So he's walking by a little bit, and I said, hey, you could come on in anytime, Sunday, 930. You know, why not, right? And he stopped. And he said, oh, I think things might happen for a reason. And so we talked a little bit, and there's another church he goes to way, way far away. And he said, this is very close. And so we talked a little bit, and I gave him a card. You know, and we just shared a little bit. Now, he said he wouldn't be here this morning because he was still walking and doing all that stuff. But it could be as simple as that, right? I know some of you are here because somebody just said, hey, come on, check it out. Right? Simply like that. That's witness. And we use all of our gifts in different ways for that. And to who, get, who gets the glory? God. God always gets the glory. So on the day of Pentecost, we celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, working in your life. See, it's really easy to say, well, it's just the pastor who's empowered by the... No, no, no. It's all of us. All of us are given that a gift of some sort. On that day of Pentecost, where they could not confess the Lord and be saved, now they could confess the Lord and be saved. What a miracle that was. What a miracle. So for you, trust the Holy Spirit, for He is God Himself. And next week is Trinity Sunday, so we're going to talk about the Trinity. Talk a little bit more about God, the Holy Spirit. Pray for His power to guide and lead you. And finally, actively use your gifts in the service of others. You can pray. Let's do that now. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Enliven us, empower us to do your work, to be your hands and feet, the hands and feet of Christ Jesus here. And not to our glory, but to your glory. And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.